Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we dive into biblical topics in a way that's deep, but also easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. And as usual, if you have any questions that come up while you're reading along with us, or even, uh, I guess, having a conversation with us, even though we're not talking to you, uh, we'd love to have those questions uh, sent in to us at the email at infogrove.church or you can jump on our Facebook page at Grove Church here in Washington State, uh, like it, and then send uh, a question through our direct message there. We'd exactly. love for you to do that. All right. Well, today, uh, we actually have no, we didn't have any questions coming this last week, so we're going to spend... So I'm assuming that we did such a great job talking about the material that it evoked no questions and concerns. So that, great job, Evan. I think that logic checks out. That's so. it. That's, that's a pat on the back, a good old pat on the back. So. Uh, anyway, yeah. So today we're going to be spending uh, the bulk of our time talking about and talking through the book of Acts. So which will be... The launch of the church. Yeah. This will be a really fun book to tackle. Yeah, um, I agree. A couple of resources this week uh, before we jump in. As always, the ESV Study Bible, we use that all the time. The Essence of the New Testament, a survey by Elmer Towns and Ben Gutierrez, uh, and the New Testament in its World by N.T. Wright. And there's another book that I put in there, but I didn't hit save into the notes. Uh, uh-huh. It's actually a commentary by uh, editor Kent Hughes. It's called Preaching the Word, uh, or specifically on Acts, it calls it says, in essence, the church on a church of fire. So um, that's one that I'll reference a little bit today, too. All right. So a couple of things to introduce the book of Acts. We're not going to spend a ton of time into it because there's really, um, there's no real controversy about it because it's kind what? of- Shocker. I know. Well, here's, here's the reason why, right? Um, we know the date that Paul is executed. So- the book was written before that happened. And we'll get to the reason why once we get to the mm-hmm. end of the book. Um, and then we know that the book was written after the book of Luke because, but basically right after the book of Luke, because yep. it's also addressed to Theophilus. It's a direct sequel to the book of Luke. So the, the date range there um, is very narrow. This was yeah. written in the early sixties AD. So there you go. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. As I uh, mentioned before, the book is written to Theophilus. We don't know much about who this person is, but the kind of uh, the things that we infer from the text would be that he was probably a wealthy man who was funding Luke's uh, mission to mm-hmm. compile a narrative of who Jesus is, of uh, what happened with the, uh, the church in Acts. And the date for when this would happen is probably after Paul is in prison, when Luke is no longer doing missionary journeys with him, sometime between when that happens and the execution of Paul is when the, both the gospel and the book of Acts are compiled. So again, there you go. that's just kind of, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. Today. Yeah. It's pretty straightforward as far as that goes. Um, this book deals with the birth and ministry of the early church. You can kind of divide it in half, um, mm-hmm. even though I don't think it works directly in half. Cause I think it's 12 chapters and it's 28, but it's pretty close. Yeah. Um, the first half of the book is really the birth of the church. Um, and what happens with that. And mm-hmm. then the second half of the book is the ministry of Paul. And so, and the, and it's kind of fun. I, I, I didn't write down which chapter it happens and I should have, but there is a point where the narration of acts switches from, and then Paul did this and then this happened yeah. to, and then we went and that you can kind mm-hmm. of see, Oh, this is when Luke actually joined Paul and 
began his mission. Yeah, in essence, them. it's when Paul expanded the church. I mean, I've heard it. I've heard a breakdown between not just the birth and Paul's missionary journeys, but really it's the expansion of the church. And so, Paul uh, really takes the gospel. He becomes like the first church planner. He becomes like the first uh, really hardcore evangelist, where he's going out. He becomes the first missionary. All those different things. So right. you see the church go from you know, Jerusalem and, and Judea and that area, but you see it really hit the, the expanses of the world as they knew it. So, Absolutely. And so if we're talking about through um, the narrative portions of the Bible, you can say that in the narratives of the Old Testament, God the Father is the main character. Um, in the Gospels, obviously God the Son, Jesus is the main character. Mm -hmm. And then in Acts, what you kind of see is that the Holy Spirit is the main character. Yep. Um, not in the sense of we're going to be hearing exactly what the Holy Spirit says all the time, but he, the Holy Spirit permeates everything yeah. that happens in this yeah, book. Yeah. So, you know, segue, let's talk about that for a little bit. So <laughs> Acts starts off, the first section we're going to call the church is born. And this is Acts 1 through about uh, chapter 8, verse 3, um, mostly chapter 7, but there's a couple things in chapter 8 that kind of relate back to what yeah, happened yeah. in 7 instead of going it's forward. Like that transition piece. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, the first thing that happens in the book of Acts is in chapters 1 and 2, and it's Jesus's ascension and Pentecost. So these are two really important events mm -hmm. in church history. So first off, uh, this takes place after the after the resurrection of Christ, the disciples are all gathered. And then Jesus basically gathers all of the people together, all the, his disciples together and says that he is, he is leaving. So we have the final words of Jesus recorded here in Acts chapter one, verses six through 11, starting in verse six, it says this, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, which we'll see that, I love that pivot that's point. exactly how it happens. Mm -hmm. Also, yeah, he doesn't answer the question. He's yeah. just like... <laughs> and it's a good question, but let me tell you something different. When will the kingdom be restored? Who cares? This is what I'm calling you yeah. guys to do right now. Um, and then verse nine says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, probably angels, and, <laughs> and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Mm -hmm. And then that's... That's it. That's the end of Jesus. It is kind of, well, not really, yeah. but <laughs> the end of, end of Jesus' physical ministry here on earth. But it, it is really, well, until, until later. <laughs> so <laughs> until this is the last we've seen of him. I was sarcastic. I was not implying back. anything about the end of Jesus, but it was just funny. That's true. Um, so anyway, yeah, it is kind of funny that with Luke focuses so much on the book of Luke, uh, mm. on, on, who Jesus is. And then in Acts, it's just, he has two lines and, and then he's out. Yep. Pieces. This is, and, and I think it kind of does show um, the the co-equalness of God, which is a weird word to say, but with God, the Father, God, the mm -hmm. Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, sure. that um, this isn't like some type of big, th I, I'm trying to think how to phrase it. It is a big deal that mm -hmm. Jesus leaves, but he's telling them like, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be fine. I'm out. Yeah. And then, so that's kind of what goes. Well, I even love that it, re, it refocuses. I mean, these individuals like Jesus followers are like, Hey, we, we're still anticipating and waiting for the kingdom of Israel to come. They've been waiting. Their ancestors have been waiting for hundreds of years. Uh, and there's this, this tension of like, this is what the Messiah is supposed to do. Right. So now that you've proven that you're the Messiah, are you now going to fulfill what you said and what God's word that we have been taught and trained and learned? Are you going to do what, what you've come to do? 
And Jesus, he, he pivots out of that. He says, well, it's not, it's not for you to know. And it's going to happen when it happens. But he then tells him, like, you have purpose. There's something to do beyond. And, and I just love the inclusiveness of Jesus in this moment. It really reveals God's heart yeah. uh, even more so, even as he did in the Old Testament, different moments. Um, and it just reveals the whole idea, like, God's like, we're not done yet. There's still, there's still things to be done. There's still people that need to be invited into the family of God. Um, and so I just, I just love that pivot because he pivots out of that question pretty pretty brilliantly, but I think he does that for a lot of questions that are posed to him, not because he doesn't want to answer them, because he has a greater mission and initiative to take over. So there you go. That was good. And then we get uh, right after that passage, the arrival of probably the least talked about disciple of Jesus, and that Who? is Matthias. Mm-hmm. So poor Matthias. I guess I shouldn't say poor Matthias. He gets to be one of the 12 apostles. Right. He's, That's pretty cool. He's he's selected uh, by the casting of lots. There you go. So anyway, uh, we know that Judas dies uh, in the, I forgot which gospel it is, but we know that he hangs himself. And then Acts, uh, for whatever reason, feels the need to let us know that um, after he hangs himself, we can assume that the branch breaks, the rope breaks, and he's bloated and his guts spill out everywhere. So, to like, fulfill prophecy. Cool. Thanks, Axe. That Isn't was, that why it's mentioned? Like, the part of it is to fulfill the prophecy. I probably should have written that down. It seems That seems legit, though. I think that's I, why, because I, I remember, right. but I didn't read that portion of it. So there you go. I don't look at it in the notes. I just commentate on them. So anyway, <laughs> there you go. That happens. Uh, the disciples, and I, I do think it's pretty interesting that the disciples definitely view the number 12 as being significant. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus, at least in their eyes, but I would, I would argue uh, objectively, Jesus chooses 12 disciples for the very same reason. Yeah. And so one of them falls away. They don't feel like it's right to not have 12 disciples as they start off on this, um, on this mission, yeah, which is interesting too, because we'll see later that disciples or the apostles start to really fall off, but they're not replaced. So yeah. when, when James That's is true. martyred, spoilers, uh, they don't have a meeting to appoint another one. It's just kind yeah. of... At this starting point of the church, they felt the need to replace Judas. Yeah, that's interesting. And I remember, I don't. We haven't talked about Revelation, right? Have we? I don't remember. Me and you, yeah, or in the we, podcast, we talked about it in last year's reading plan. Yeah, not that, this but, year. Uh, but I do remember, as I kind of remember some of the things coming out of Revelation, like even the number of one hundred forty-four thousand, which is twelve times twelve, it's one hundred forty-four thousand. But it's like a total. Of, it's a number of wholeness. Like it's whole, it's complete. Um, and not that there's like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not in the numberology kind of thing or whatever. Uh, Cause I don't know enough about it, but there is something significant about the number 12. Uh, yeah. It is this total of complete. It's, it's, we're ready to rock and roll kind of thing. And uh, so you'll see that you'll see that in, um, in this portion. Now they're ready to launch into what Jesus called them to, cause they're not complete again. Absolutely. So after this, we get the arrival of the Holy spirit, um, which come, it's just awesome. So the, yeah. uh, the disciples to be a fly in that room. Oh yeah. So the disciples, and this is not just uh, the 12 disciples, but this is kind of just like 120. The, yeah. The Jesus is close disciples. They it go makes up. me wonder what happened to the other, what? 380. Yeah. Cause, cause I was it, I think it was at the end of Luke. It talks about, he had showed like Jesus showed himself to 500 of his followers. And then there's 120 in the room. That's a good um, question. So, and I, and part of it is like, I've heard different messages and sermons about like what happens to the 380. They probably fall away after they have to continually wait, 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 wait. I don't know if that's accurate, but it just makes me wonder. Cause I know that like in total, there was a moment where Jesus revealed himself or was seen and interacted with by 500 people after his resurrection. And so it's kind he, of like, and maybe it's because they were working or their schedules are too busy. I don't know. Like it's, well, it's kind of like, where was Daniel? Um, during the fiery furnace. Like, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. 
So they might have fallen well, away. They might Daniel probably have. fell away then. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, just kidding. Daniel, anyway. So yeah, it just was interesting because at one point there was 500 and now there's 120 that we see. Yeah. So they're praying for the Holy Spirit because that's what Jesus told them. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to come and then you will be empowered mm-hmm. for, for ministry. Uh, and the Holy Spirit comes in a super awesome way. There's a mighty rushing wind, uh, tongues of fire yeah. appear on top of their heads. And then they begin to speak uh, in different languages that they that they did not know. And, and what's really cool about this is at the time- what weekend was this? I forget. They, all the tribes and all the different people were coming. I was about to was say, I forgot what Sorry. festival it was. But there is a, a festival. I, I believe remember. it's the festival of the booths, but I don't know. Don't quote me on that. I'm quoting. Um, but there is, yeah, there is a massive festival in Jerusalem. And so the Jews who have been dispersed, different parts of the land, some of them are coming back um, and they're partaking in the festival. And so as the disciples are going out, um, they're speaking in these different languages and they're speaking in native languages and proclaiming the gospel. Um, in languages that they themselves don't know, but the people in the crowd all of a sudden, it, it yeah. it's really an incredible moment to, to just see. And and so- well, Yeah, to read about it, it's phenomenal yeah. just to even think about. And so people think they're drunk. Uh, Peter comes forward and he preaches. And this is really, I would say, um, the shift in Peter, which mm-hmm. I think is really cool. Because well, 50 last... days prior, bro, 50 days prior, he was like denying Jesus and weeping mm-hmm. bitterly. Uh, which if you put it in those terms, like that was one of the things that, that I remember reading from the commentaries, like 50 days prior, Peter had denied Jesus. And now all of a sudden this moment of the Holy Spirit shows up, empowers him. Yeah. He stands up and preaches one of the greatest sermons in all of church history. Yeah. And the last we hear of Peter is really what we talked about at the end of John, where Jesus mm-hmm. kind of gives him a fresh start and he says, okay, I'm empowering you for ministry. This is what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, I feel like this is kind of... Um, and yeah, if it, if it was a movie, this is the part where the guy who wasn't sure about being the hero all of a sudden yeah, right. steps forward into the role. Not that Peter's a hero, because obviously God's the hero of the Bible, but you get what I'm trying to say. Um, so anyways, moving forward, <laughs> moving forward there, uh, after Peter's sermon, which we're not going to be, we're, we are going to have to skim a lot in Acts, which is a bummer because it's a really great book. So yeah. we're not gonna be able to do the whole message. But after uh, Peter preaches, we do get this uh, in Acts chapter two, verses 37 through 41. Now, when they had heard this, they being the crowd, they were cut to the heart and said to, uh, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God, God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Yeah, I love it. Peter speaks, the church goes from, we can say it goes from, you know, 120 to 3,120. Boom! Just one message. Mm -hmm. It's it's really just an incredible moment, and and the church of the church of Jesus really does just kind of start off with a bang. Yeah. Well, and even remember too, like not everybody that was hearing him speak responded uh some people shut down like oh they're just drunk or the 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 reception of everybody listening was not all like what should we do uh and so even when they say and they when when they came together uh there were individuals who were like hard-hearted and they just rejected the idea and then there was some who were open and and interested to engage in the idea and so uh i think it's just like practical i just get encouraged by that because not everyone's going to listen to what i say so so there you go so holy spirit comes Peter preaches an incredible message. Well, all the disciples are preaching, but Peter's message is the one that we have recorded and obviously kind of the main one. All the disciples are preaching? It says that they're all speaking in tongues. And, uh, oh, God, I got it. Yeah, right. But so, well, I guess, yeah, not preaching. Peter would be the one preaching. Right. 
Yeah, got it. Okay. I guess I'm saying like the other disciples were declaring the truths of God as yeah. well. It's not oh, like, for sure. Because that's, like that's, that's being, tongues, yeah. Uh, so anyway, that happens. The church is empowered. 3,000 people are saved. And this is really, this is when it's, the book starts it's to start, pick up. Yep. yep. So the next section we're going to call stories from the early church. And this is kind of in Acts 3 through 6. Um, and this is really just kind of uh, a collection mm-hmm. of stories of the very, very early days of the church. We get the famous story of Peter and John. Uh, with the, the lame man, gate. yep, at the gate called Beautiful, where he says, "Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk." And then, boom, the guy gets up and walks. Mm-hmm. Peter and, and he John follows him into the temple. Yep. Peter and John then are brought before the council because of this. Yep, and they're like, "Hey, what's up with this? Uh, what's up with this name of Jesus guy? Not allowed to do that." And so, which, stop it. Which is the theme all, also all throughout the New Testament? Yep. Is people deciding like, "Hey, is God allowed to do what He just did?" Oh, it's uh, totally true. But in Acts 4, verses 19 through 20, at the very end of their stance before the council, uh, I love this line. So it says, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God. Well, I should, I should preface this. They're, they're asked, they're said, you can go, but stop yeah, preaching, stop preaching about Jesus. Jesus. And then they say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And so we see just this Holy Spirit empowered yeah. ministry happening where the disciples completely are, um, for lack of a better word, on fire for, yeah. for the message. And they're not they're not shutting up. They're not doing anything. And we'll see now um, the more persecution that comes against them, the faster the church grows, yeah. the more. And in fact, it kind of has the opposite effect because you could argue um, that the church really would have stayed in Jerusalem for a long time if there wasn't for persecution that which we'll see coming up here in a little bit and that kind of forces a little bit of the dispersion mm-hmm. and you see some great missionary journeys yeah, begin to take place um after that we get the story of ananias and sapphira which is kind of just an interesting little tidbit on the side but what we see is um the church is really those who have a lot of money and a lot of um means within the church are selling things to make sure that the poor in the church are taken care of it's this really beautiful moment of, of yeah. community and coming together and taking care of each other um and so we read about ananias and sapphira who are a married couple and they sell a field um and they say we sold our field and we're bringing in everything all of the proceeds and peter's like why are you lying Liar. and then they just die yeah. so one after another yep in separate instances so there you go. Don't lie to the Holy Spirit. And that's it. And then we get to uh, the creation of the deacons right after that, which is kind of just a practical, um, it's a practical setup of church leadership, which I think is really interesting because we're going to see this in Acts a little bit. We're going to see it in a lot of the letters of Paul, um, and we, we, we can do a little bit of a sidebar on this, I suppose. But what's happening is people are coming forward and they're saying, hey, in the daily distribution of fret, mm-hmm. uh, not of fret, of food, <laughs> of, uh, of food, we're of giving fret away. Yep. Uh, some of the, the Hellenists are being uh, ignored, or in other words, those of Greek descent are being ignored yeah. uh, for the Jews. And so the disciples are saying, or the apostles at this point, well, it's not right for us to take time out of preaching and declaring the gospel, because this is what the Holy Spirit has empowered us to do to do this. And so they appointed seven deacons. Uh, we get Stephen. We get Philip the deacon. There's a few other names I don't remember, and they never come up again. So, I mean, you made it in the Bible. Congratulations. Good work. Yep. Good work. Shout out. You other five. Uh, and so they begin to take over. And what we see is this kind of building a structure of what eventually we're going to see the New Testament outlie for mm-hmm. what the church is supposed to be. So there's this top layer of authority, which is obviously God, mm-hmm. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father there over the church. After that, 
in this particular point, we have the apostles and below that we have deacons, which deacons literally translate to servant, which is a great, which is a great word for what the role is supposed to be. Um, And then in the letters of Paul, we see it laid out a little bit more clearly in the, particularly the, I think it's first Timothy and then the book of Titus, um, both give lists of what Paul would uh, suggest for them to, for the elders of the church. So there's this level of leadership over the church called elders. There's a level called deacons. And then there's um, members of the church, all those different things. And and one of the things I think is really important that we see in the New Testament is this idea of um, accountability of leadership. Yeah. And so, and I, like, you know, for instance, for us, we're the church, the Grove Church is an Assemblies of God church. And so the way that we're uh, structured is we have a board of deacons at the church. Um, there's also the pastors, um, but they're under authority, obviously, of, you know, the lead pastor. But yeah. then the lead pastor, Nick, is under the authority of, it's called a presbytery yeah. over the top. And then there's an authority level above that. And, and so essentially what it is, is it's kind of these, it's these layers um, of biblical authority that we want to make sure that we put in place yeah. over churches so that the mission can continue forward. And it isn't, and I do think there's, there's even just practical things where like, you know, different events, for instance, if, um, you know, Pastor Nick had to do everything and run everything, well, then it's just, it's just not going to be effective. And so there's things that different people on staff, different pastors, different workers, um, things that we take on so that the church can continue to run effectively. Mm -hmm. And we see the, um, we see the beginnings of that here. In yeah. This so it's kind of cool. Well, and we see that even play out in the Old Testament with True. Moses having to be that point person and leading much more, uh, a larger mass of people. Um, but it's it's interesting because I think it's it's worth pointing out the fact that this is where, uh, if I can use a smart word for you, Evan, because I know you love these words, but it, words. the idea of ecclesiology, like it's the idea of the doctrine of the church. What do we believe mm-hmm. the church is meant to be? And I'll be honest with you, I've heard different conversations about, well, the church is not the way it should be. That's not the, the Acts model where it needs to be home churches and this and this and this. And, and I would be very careful to establish what we, uh, well, let, me, let me back up. I think we need to be careful to establish the right biblical perspective, picture per, and perspective of the church and what it is actually meant to be. Right. Um, because it's not, it's not just home church stuff. I think it's bigger than that. And I think that there is something about the accountability and the structures and you see the different, uh, the systematic approach to allow, and I'm not saying these somebody's got to have his all, has it all figured out. Now I, I miss somebody's got a pastor. I, I, I like the structure and I like the accountability and I like the way we have things broken down right. because I think accountability is necessary. And so in my, in my opinion, I like the way these somebody's got is, but there's other different, there's other differing structures out there. And so when people have pushed back on me about the foundations of the church or the, the doctrine of how the church should be operating, it's not a biblical approach anymore today. And um, I, I think we got to be careful. Uh, and make sure that that's actually lining up fully with scripture and not a typecasted specific, I'm going to extrapolate this one thought out of scripture. So. Yeah. And most mainline denominations uh, have a very deep authority structure that's built yes, into them. Yes, which and, is and, good. Yeah, which is a good deal. So anyway, but we don't need to focus on that. Uh, we're already at like 22 minutes and we're not even through the first section well, yet. So there you go. Happens. We're going to have to power through a little bit. Uh, so the first I'll martyr in Acts uh, 7, 8 through uh, 7 through 8, Verse three, holy cow, I can't speak today. Uh, Stephen, happens. one of the deacons, uh, he is appointed as a deacon. He's apparently doing a really good job. And then he comes out, uh, people are coming at him. He declares the gospel. Again, we can't read all of it, but it's yeah. a really cool, um, he basically goes from the beginning of the, the Jewish people server. all the way through. Yeah. He's giving you a history of redemption, which is yeah. a great deal. 
afterwards uh, because he declares that Jesus is God. They stone him. Uh, and there's this really cool echo that Stephen gives when he's being stoned. He says, Father, please do not hold the sin against them, which if, yeah. you, if that sounds familiar, it's because Jesus asks the yep. same thing. So the same thing. Yeah, really cool. And then verses chapter eight, verses one through three, this is why it's included in there. All we get is that, you know, Saul approves of what's happening. And then we don't really know who this Saul guy is, but he's going to factor in yeah. a lot. And uh, he begins to actively persecute the church because he's very zealous. For yeah, he kind of he comes in stage right, like out of nowhere. Yep. This, this whole thing's happening. And all of a sudden there's this guy named Saul who gets the spotlight. Uh, and we see why later on, but yep. it's definitely, definitely kind of, if you don't know church history and the scriptural context, it's kind of surprising. Like, who's this Saul guy? Yeah, true. Uh, after that, we're going to go to our second big section, which is the church grows. And this is going to cover Acts 8, 4 uh, through chapter 12. And what we get here is the ministry of Philip. We don't know if this is the apostle Philip or one of the 12 disciples, mm -hmm. or if this is the deacon Philip, who we just heard about, or if those are the same Philips, and for whatever reason, this is one of the 12 apostles who was a deacon, who knows? But anyway, he's he's a Philip. Yeah. And either way, we know that he is, he's one of those two, for sure. In the readings I've done, my understanding is it's more deacon possibility than it is apostle, but yeah, so there you go. that's just what I've read. Open-handed, I kind of land with you as well. That's probably the deacon Philip, but just wanted to throw mm -hmm. it out there that it could be either. Who knows? Uh, so Philip Controversy. Is, Philip is preaching the gospel in Samaria. And so mm -hmm. now all of a sudden this is stopping. This is no longer just a a pure Jewish thing, but yeah, now this is getting into, if we remember the Samaritans. Gentiles. Yep. yep. Not the most, well, not the Gentiles. Well, yet, but, but it's a Gentile audience. Right, right. So we get there. Uh, Philip is preaching the gospel in Samaria and the people are receptive. Yeah. The people are, are coming to faith in Christ. They're repenting. They're being baptized. Um, and so Peter and John are sent to pray that they may receive the Holy Spirit. And so they're, they're being converted. They're putting their faith in Christ, but the Holy Spirit hasn't fallen the same way that it did uh, at Pentecost yeah. when Peter is preaching. And so Peter and John go uh, just to kind of see what's up. And we see in the very early church, Peter and John are kind of the main two. Mm -hmm. They're uh they're the guys. That changes. They're the dudes. So yeah, it does change a little bit. Uh, and so that happens. They come, they pray, they see what's happening, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit falls. And then we get this interesting uh, little sidebar with a man named Simon the Magician yep. sees the Holy Spirit falling, uh, and he's like, hey, how much do I have to give you to get this power? Because if I remember I, correctly, he gets baptized first though, right? I think so. He like he, In essence, he gives his life to Christ and is following these guys around and all of a sudden sees the power of the Holy Spirit at work. He's like wait a minute, there's more? Yeah. And yeah. so he's like, I've been practicing magic. How do I, how do I pull this off? And how much is that going to cost? And me? Peter basically rebukes him and says, like, you, need to go, payments. you need to go pray that uh, God doesn't hold what you just asked me against you. Yeah. And so, and, and that, yeah. And the idea there, I think it's the same as Ananias and Sapphira, that the Holy Spirit is not somebody to make light of. Yeah. Not um, at all. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, and then we get this really cool story of Philip and the eunuch where uh, Philip is just chilling and he meets, he meets he's the, just chilling. He's just chilling. He meets the Ethiopian eunuch. He's preaching the gospel. The eunuch's like, "Well, I believe in this. This is awesome. Can I be baptized?" And then there, Philip's like, "Yeah, there's water right here." And then he baptizes mm. him. And then Philip disappears. Yep. And when I say that, I don't mean like he walks away. I mean like well, he God didn't, removes him. God takes him, him somewhere else. Up, he he teleports him. him. Yep. I didn't write the the place he goes to, uh, but Philip is instantly transported somewhere else. And that is the last we hear of Yeah. Philip. And Philip was even told, like there was a moment with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit tells him, go here and right. go go closer to that chariot. And and it's a pretty, it's a pretty remarkable um, story too. Because even then, I think later on, I don't know if it's in the book of Acts or, or this, this eunuch, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is Ethiopian. Yeah. And he goes into his home country, who was a very high up in the in the in the kingdom, 
uh, and he, there's converts later on. I, yeah. So it, when I study Book of Acts, I remember like there's just this crazy turn of events later on with this with the the Ethiopian. So what? Country. Yeah. What what you're saying is extra biblical. So, but there, historically we know. Mm, well, yeah. Sorry. That there's this. So yeah, in the Bible we don't get that, but we know that for whatever reason there's this stronghold of a Christian church in Ethiopia that yeah. lasts through. And the speculation, that's what it and, is. And yeah, right. if you look at the history of Africa, Africa goes through, as particularly Northern Africa is kind of what we're talking about, but there's a ton of change that happens. There's um, the conquest of Islam and all these different things, but the church in Ethiopia is kind of a rock. Um, mm-hmm. And there's not much reason why it would be, but we can kind of infer from this story that most likely this guy, uh, being a eunuch, was probably a servant in the court of the king, comes back, and then the whole nation of Ethiopia is changed. And I yeah. forgot which apostle it is. It might have actually been Philip, but one of them... Um, Tradition holds that they go to Ethiopia and preach there as well. So, anyhow, yeah, I don't remember. there Anyways. you go. Uh, next up, we get the conversion of Saul in Acts chapter 9. Um, so this guy makes his way back. Yep. So, Saul is going around. He's persecuting Christians. He's delivering them up. Uh, some of them are being killed. They're at the very least being thrown in prison. And then as he's making his way to or from Damascus, I don't remember which. He's, to, he's going towards Damascus. He's going on the toward, road to Damascus. Okay, yeah. Going to Damascus. Uh, bright light comes. He gets knocked right off his donkey. Uh, and then... Uh, Jesus says this. So in uh, Acts chapter nine, verses three through nine, it says this. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling on the ground. He heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what to, what you are to do. The, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, <clears throat> and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight. He neither ate nor drank. So Paul goes, he or Saul, sorry, spoilers. <laughs> but You Saul, ruined it. I know. Uh, yeah, it's Paul. So anyways, Paul goes... <laughs> Into town, he meets with a guy named Ananias, which is not the Ananias that already died. Uh, and it's funny because God gives Ananias a vision saying that, you know, Saul of Tarsus is going to be coming and you need to mm-hmm. do this. Uh, you need to pray for him and, and basically take him in. And Ananias is kind of like, no, I'm good. Like, God, you know who this is, right? Like, you're just with same Saul, we're talking about the persecution. And, and uh, God actually tells him, like, this is who I've appointed to take my gospel to the Gentiles, which mm-hmm. we're going to see with the second half of the book of Acts, that is really what he does. Yeah, and so I mean, yeah. uh, Ananias prays for him. His sight is restored to Paul. Paul's sight is restored to him. And this is really his conversion. And he begins to preach the gospel in the local synagogues. And we get instantly that the there's, when it says the Jews, it's never like all, <laughs> all the Jews. It's always like, you know, higher ups. Yeah. Uh, but they see this really dedicated Pharisee who was absolutely going after the church. He's one of their, he's one of their guys. He's yeah. one of their dudes. And all of a sudden um, he's switched sides. Yeah. He's and not so, trying to bring people into that way. Mm-hmm. And so there's very much this uh, push to, we need to take him yeah. out right now. We do need to be mindful of that. It doesn't happen right away. Paul has this, he goes to Ananias, Ananias prays for him. He, the scales fall off his eyes. He eats and drinks and then he, he understands. And then he, it's a season of waiting. He, he actually doesn't preach right away. He doesn't go immediately into the synagogues um, and do that from what I'm remembering and understanding. Um, he has a conversation with the disciples, but there is a period of time where he's not doing much. He even says, I, I had this verse on my wall for the longest time. Um, 
but Paul makes a conversation in the statement sometimes like I I presume to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. Like there was a season of learning about Christianity in its entirety and, and things like that. And then he's then propelled. So I don't think, and I may be wrong and I'll eat crow if I need to, um, but I'm pretty sure there's a moment where it's not, and it doesn't say it in scripture, like he waited 10 years. It doesn't say he waited three years, but I do know there was a period of time that, that passed before Paul steps into the synagogue and starts teaching and preaching. So there's, uh, as far as stepping into his, his, like his overall ministry, yeah, there definitely is a period of waiting. It says, where am I at? In 9, 19, uh, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all of you and all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, uh, but their plot became known to Saul and they were watching the gates at night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket, which baskets are always... Those are fun. That's a great, that's okay, a great so way So I'll eat skip. my words a little bit, but there is like part of even the, the, well, yeah, the history of Paul is it's not, it's not this immediate, he's just like, boom, he's converted and he's going. Yeah. He doesn't. There was a period of time. He's not given the authority to really yeah, go. Yeah. Because until... he's still learning under Peter because Peter still carries right. the, the, in essence, he's the lead patriarch for the disciples, so to speak, if I can use that word, but. And we'll even see when he goes with Barnabas, Barnabas starts off as it's Barnabas and Paul. Yeah. And then eventually Paul kind of steps into his giftings a little bit. So, yeah. So, yeah, when we're talking about that section where Paul is speaking in the synagogues, it's, the it's one not, thing I didn't revisit, but he's not doing it with the authority of the apostles. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so moving forward there, Saul begins to preach. Uh, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. So in Acts chapter 10, uh, Acts 10 through 11, we get uh, this Situation with Peter, which I think is really interesting. Mm. So Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile, and he's given a vision to seek out Peter. So he's told, this is where he's staying. You need to find this guy. Yeah. At the same time, Peter is given a vision that commands him to eat food that was ceremonially unclean. So this is really interesting. What he sees is a vision of a sheet coming down. Mm-hmm. Um with all the unclean it's kind foods. of a funny picture. But. Yeah. So all the, all the not, yeah, it's kind of true. Uh, with all the non-kosher foods and then God commands him to eat. Uh, rise up, kill and eat. And Peter, you know, thinking like, well, obviously this is a test. And he's like, no, Lord, I would, I would never. And all of a sudden God kind of responds back with, do not call unclean that which I've made clean. Mm-hmm. So really interesting. There's a couple layers to that. Cause number one, we're really getting the abolition of, and again, this is kind of one of those open-handed, close-handed things, right? We're getting for sure the abolition of the dietary laws, knocked over my water bottle, <laughs> the dietary laws uh, of the Old Testament. We're also getting this idea that the Gentiles are a part of this. Mm-hmm. And so the, the the clean versus unclean kind of applies to yeah. both. Um, I would argue that what we're seeing here is also kind of the ending of um, the purity laws, I guess is what we'll call them. And when you go back into the, into Leviticus, there's kind of three separate types of law. There's moral laws, there's um, government laws and there's purity laws. I would say that this is kind of the ending of, um, of those laws. And we, and we see that more throughout the new Testament because you also see an end of, um, I would agree with you. Yeah. Circumcision and stuff like that. So, but again, that's more of an open handed about what exactly that all entails. Uh, so that happens after Peter sees his vision, he meets with Cornelius and he shares the gospel with his household. And then this happens suspense pulling it up right now. 
Uh, When Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, which when it says that saying the Jews, uh, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. And so what we see is time and time again, the Spirit's preached and the way that God confirms that this is this is right. This mm-hmm. is what is supposed to happen is the Holy Spirit just de- descends on them. Yeah. Um, so that, that happens. And this is one of my favorite things because this goes down, they're preaching, the Holy spirit falls. Everyone starts speaking in tongues. They're getting these gifts. It's like, wow, this is incredible. And then Peter stands up. He's like, they need to be baptized. They're clearly saved. Like, this is what God is doing. They're all baptized. And then, uh, they go back and the apostles meet to decide if God is allowed to do what he just did. <laughs> yeah. So like, which is Wait a, fl- a minute. is a flippant way of saying it, but Peter comes back and then some of the, it says the church, like so yeah. the brothers of the they church. meet and it's like. Is that okay? We must discuss this. We heard that you're uh, chilling and eating with Gentiles and preaching to them. And Peter's like, I was told by God to do this and the Holy Spirit descended. And that's, that's what went down. And that kind of sealed the deal. Like the moment they said, like they, they received the Holy Spirit just like we did. They're like, oh. And I think we can kind of, cause we live in a really, um, you know, we live in like a really cosmopolitan world where there's cultures mix all the Mm times. And so we don't have this natural, um, you can even say we do a little bit, but like the way, like for instance, like us living in, in the United States, like I, I make fun of Canadians all the time, but there's You're not this, yeah, well, they need to learn to drive, but there's, um, there's not this natural. If you live in Canada, I apologize for <laughs> my friend. There's not this natural uh, distrust necessarily that we would have of like, well, I'm, I'm not going to Canada, but um, bear in mind, like for, for most of Israel's history, mm-hmm. they have been the only culture worshiping God um, and every culture around them is trying to destroy them. Yeah. And so there is this kind of natural distrust of foreigners that we see over, like in the book of Ruth, for instance, we see that just because she's a foreigner, even though she's converted, um, there is still this mistrust of her. And yeah. so the church is having to work through that. The church yeah, absolutely. Having, yeah. And it's good because I think that it just speaks to the fact that the church is not perfect. It's still filled with people that have their own prejudices and right. biases. Um, I think that's the right way to say it, but biases maybe um, they, they're, 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 they have their own dispositions. And, and I think, um, we need to recognize like we can't admit that we know everything. We can't admit that we're perfect and have it all figured out. We don't, and we're still learning. Even how many ever hundreds of years later, we as a church, large capital C, are still trying to figure it out. So Yeah, there you go. Um, after this, uh, we get what I'll just call kind of the persecution and the scattering. This is in Acts chapter 12. Um, we get the first of the 12 disciples to, well, not the first one to die, but the first one to get martyred. So Judas was the first one technically to, to die. die. Yeah. But anyway, uh, James, the brother of John, James, son of Zebedee, one of the big three. Uh, you and it's almost him. a passing comment. Like it's not even a, like a kind of a, a big story, a big deal. It just kind of like, Hey, this happens. It is interesting how most of the 12 disciples you don't really hear from him again. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear from Peter and John quite a lot. Especially after the scattering. It's like, wait, weren't there 12? Yep. Why are we only hearing about four? And so we have a lot of things from tradition and history, which is kind of cool to kind of see you yeah, know, for where, sure. where they end up. But as far as like actual biblical accounts, we don't hear too mm-hmm. much about them. But yeah, in passing, it's kind of revealed that uh, Herod Agrippa, not a great guy. Uh, he nope. puts James to the sword. And then when he sees like how everyone's like, yeah, this is awesome. He's like, oh, you, you like it when I... What else can I do? So he puts Peter in prison uh, and Peter is rescued by an angel. And it's a really cool passage where 
literally Peter is sleeping in jail. I, I would imagine fully expecting at this point, like this he's is dead how, too. Yeah. This is how I die. Um, and then an angel just kicks him away and then he's like, hello. And he's like, put on your, put on and, your coat. And he thinks he's dreaming. Yeah. But and he, the whole time the angel is leading him out of the city and he has, and Peter's trying to figure out, am I dreaming? Is this a vision? Is this really happening right now? And then the angel just drops him off and, and then he disappears. And he's like, Oh, that was real. Yep. And he's like, Oh, okay. Sweet. So, um, and then he goes to the house, knocks on the door. The girl at the door is like, what? And it's Mary. And so everyone rebukes him or rebukes her and says, it's his ghost. And they all come and find out it's actually Peter. So there you go. Uh, so Happy ever, happily ever after. Uh, God really. supernaturally rescues Peter. Uh, James is killed. And then Herod is killed by, yeah. an, by an angel. So God's kind of like, hey, you know what? Awesome. We're not tolerating that. And so uh, it's, I forgot, I didn't write down exactly what happens, but he shows some disrespect to God uh, when he's taking care of something. And it says that he just falls over and dies right in mm -hmm. that moment. So poor Herod, not really. No, no sympathy here. Yeah. So, uh, and then we're going to get to the final of the three sections. And this yeah. is really going to finish out the book of Acts. This, this section is really going to be an overview. Um, it's well, and I think as, as we jump into the overview, it's, it's worth remembering. And it's, there's, the, it's just as an interesting thought. I remember reading when we were talking about acts, uh, for me months ago, but there was a statement that was talked about, like Paul, Paul was called to the Gentiles. He was called to go and, and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Um, and you're going to find throughout the, the different missionary journeys, different places, Paul stops. The first place he goes to is a synagogue. First place he goes to is the Jewish people. Right. And it's, it's not that he was being rebellious to God's call, but I think that you see, and he even says in Romans 9, 1 through 3, like, if I could forego my own salvation so that my people would be saved, I'd do it in a heartbeat. So it's just this interesting tension you'll see in, in Paul that he's called to go to the Gentile audience. He's called to, to not prioritize the Jewish people because he was there for the Gentiles back in Acts 9, but he still, that's almost his first stop every place he goes. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, Saul begins to go by Paul. We get that in Acts chapter 13 uh, and the rest of the books. I just kind of wrote my notes, the rest of the books of Acts. Book of Acts follows Paul with a few exceptions. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are a great team. So they start off, they're doing some missionary journeys. Uh, Paul eventually begins to grow into who God would have him be. And you see during the, uh, the, the journeys of Paul and Barnabas that eventually it stops being Barnabas who's doing most of the preaching and mm -hmm. starts to be Paul. Uh, and then Paul, Paul and Barnabas get into it. They fight. Yep. Fist so, fight. No, I'm just kidding. And well, yeah, it is. But really, they argue. It is really interesting that we see um, really two main actors in the church just get into it. And mm -hmm. not that they never like forgive each other or whatever it is, but yeah, they're kind of, they go their separate ways. Um, I have the passage right here. So it's in Acts chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 37. It says, now Barnabas wanted to take with him, John called Mark. This would Which be the same. Cousin, correct? I don't remember if it is or not. I think they're related. Oh. I don't know. Anyways. Uh, but in this, this is the same John Mark who writes the gospel of Mark. Yeah. Um, but Paul thought it best to take with him one who had, uh, not to take with him the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with him to the work. Then there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And they went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Yeah. So, and there's the issue this, was on John Mark. Yeah. And, so, and John Mark deserted them in essence. Yeah. We don't know exactly what happened, but we know he left. Yeah. He, um, he went to go do the missionary journey with them. And he's like, you know what? I don't think this is for me. Uh, and then that, that's the, my paraphrase, whatever. Right. And then he, he goes back home. And then Barnabas is like, I think, you know, because I'm, I'm pretty sure, and maybe I'm wrong, like I was wrong earlier, but I, I'm pretty sure they're cousins. And so Barnabas has this understanding. And so I'm sure they kept in contact. But yeah. that was the big rift is, no, he deserted us. I don't know if I want him on our team. I can't trust him. 
um, to put it in layman's term, I guess that's how I perceive and understand it. Um, and then all of a sudden, I was like, no. What's interesting, and, and so what I'm about to say is a really open-handed thing. So this is just kind of like me reading into um, taking some inferences from scripture. But I do think this happens really early mm-hmm. in um, in the ministry of Paul. We do see that John Mark goes on to do amazing things. We yeah. have one of the gospels. And the first gospel that is written chronologically, yep. um, most likely, is written by, by Mark. And we see in the later letters of Paul him constantly extolling people to always bring people to repentance. So like when he talks about church discipline, it's not to separate forever, but it really yeah. is to draw them back in. And I, I can't help but wonder um, if Paul has some regret over the way he handled things with John Mark. And he's kind of later on extolling people to continue to give grace. Cause here, I think we do see Barnabas extend grace to John yeah. Mark when he, he, you know, he didn't deserve it. He, yeah. he totally deserted them. And it's interesting because I think we sometimes put these, like these, biblical people on pedestals like paul wrote right. almost you know two-thirds of the new testament and he's just amazing like no like he was young and immature and stupid too <laughs> just like young leaders and young people today like not young people and students but just young mature immature followers of christ that are still growing and maturing so uh, i think it's it's worth remembering that like right <laughs> i'm not going to get it all you're not going to get it all so we're just going to have to skim through all of this. It's narrative, so it's a really easy read. I'd really encourage you to do it. But just some of the highlights, we get Paul preaching at the Areopagus or Mars Hill, um, as it's sometimes translated, which is really kind of this, it's this really cool moment where Paul begins to um, translate the gospel out of a Jewish culture into mm-hmm. the Greek culture. Um, and so I have that passage pulled up. It says, Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, men of Athens, I perceive in every way that you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind and breath of everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth and having determined the allotted periods and boundaries of the, of the dwelling place. I'm going to skip to the end here. Uh, the times of ignorance, the times of ignorance of God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed on a day, which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance by the raising of him from the dead. And now when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. And so what Paul does in this moment, he's not, he doesn't take, talk to this audience of Greeks and say, here's what the Hebrew scriptures say. He really contextualizes the gospel into what they're already believing. And he shows them through their worldview that Jesus really is, Christ. So it's, it's this really cool moment. Um, it's this kind of turning point what we, that we see in preaching because we haven't seen up until this point yeah, really. That's true. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, the ministry of Apollos. I always love this story because there's a guy named Apollos. He hears the preaching. He's like, this is awesome. And he goes and he starts preaching. He's on fire for God. And then Priscilla and Aquila are a married couple. They hear him speak and they kind of just, they take him under their wing. And we don't know really much of what happens with Apollos, but we know he's a big deal because mm-hmm. in one of the letters of Paul, he says that I forgot which which letter it is, but the church is arguing about who they like. And he's like, some say I like Paul. Some say I like Apollos. So Apollos clearly becomes mm-hmm. like- A name. Yeah. A really famous preacher of the word. And so I love that he's young. Um, he's not, he's not, uh, he doesn't have everything together. Yeah. And this married couple, instead of saying like, you need to shut up, they, they bring him in yeah, and they the help. Mentorship. Yeah. They correct his doctrine. And, then and we Paul's. know that Paul, we know that Paul was close to Aquila and Priscilla because they, they shared in the trade of tent making. Yeah. Paul, Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers and Paul did that on his, on his side as well. Uh, so you know that there was some mutual 
mentoring and, and, and maturity there too. Yep. So there you go. Uh, eventually Paul, uh, he's, he's going around, he does missionary journeys for a very long time. Mm -hmm. He feels, uh, prompted by the Holy spirit to return to Jerusalem. He's warned about this. They're saying, Hey, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to, you're going to die. And Paul says, yeah, they told me the same thing. And then Paul goes to, or the Holy spirit told me the same thing. So Paul goes to Jerusalem. Uh, he demands to be tried in front of Caesar because that is his right as a Roman citizen. Mm -hmm. He makes his way to Rome. Uh, we get here the famous story of Paul telling, uh, the people that like, Hey, we shouldn't sail right now. We're going to get shipwrecked. If we do lo and behold, they don't listen to him. They get yeah, shipwrecked. They yep. Yep. End up in Malta. He's bitten by a poisonous viper. Everyone thinks he's going to die. And Paul like, it off, just shakes his hand and it's off. Cause Paul thought he was a God. Paul ain't dying before it's time. God's got something for him. True. Uh, and then here is what's really interesting with acts. It just ends. Yep. So acts 28 verse 31, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about they didn't say verse 30 in my notes. That's lame. Well, wow. it says I'm paraphrasing now cause I don't have it written down, but Paul stayed um, in prison for two years, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Mm -hmm. That's the end. That's it. And we know um, from history, and this is really not a debated fact that after um, the fire, the great fires in Rome, Paul is one of the Christians who Nero puts to death. Emperor Nero is, mm -hmm. he's the Caesar of Rome at the time. And so that's why we have the uh, the appropriate date for when Acts is written before it, because it seems like why would you write this and not include the end? Of, yeah, the end of Paul. So, well, yeah, and and the beauty is we also see from Paul's letters, the epistles that he writes, starting with Romans uh, and leading through Jude, um, for the most part. All right, no, anyway, Paul doesn't write Jude, but yeah, uh, no, you're right. Sorry, <laughs> I was just thinking to the end of the book. Um, but you just see that, like that he's, you see his different accounts. And, and the thing I love about um, sometimes reading the New Testament is being able to correlate what, where Paul is and what he's writing when he's in prison to the Philippians and to, yeah. um, you know, these prison epistles. You just see that. Uh, you get more pictures and understanding of the actual totality of Paul's ministry before he ends. And the thing with Acts is it's not, it's not a chronological book in the sense that you read the book of Acts, you move on to something else. There's things intermixed and you will, will see that as we continue to read yeah. this plan. So. If you ever read um, through like a chronological Bible, for instance, or yeah, like you said, the reading plan that we're yeah. doing is Because it's New a New Testament. Testament chronological reading. Yeah. You'll so. see the letters of Paul, where they fit into what's happening mm -hmm. in Acts. And that's actually a really, that's a really interesting and powerful way to read yeah. uh, the New Testament. I would encourage everyone to do it at least once. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Well, and if you're reading along with us, you are doing it. So Boom. So that's it. With that, okay. <laughs> and so that we're just going to end just as abruptly as Act Acts does, and we're done. Yep. Quick. So, just kidding. Just, uh, anyway, if you the outro. if you've been enjoying the podcast, do us a favor, leave us a review um, on whatever you're listening on. But it helps just get the podcast out there to more people mm -hmm. and grow this community of people reading the Bible together. Um, and just as a quick reminder, we are a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other podcasts and resources at grove.church. 